Well, did you know that the word disaster comes from the stars? The, the Greek word for star is aster. So you see like in the word asteroid or astronaut. Um, so disaster means basically bad stars, a disordering of the stars. Because ancient people tended to believe that there was a world beyond this world and that it's somehow able to govern or determine life down here on earth. And if you were really skilled and wise, you could look up into the skies and you could read the stars, so to speak, to understand something about what the intent of that other world is for our world down here below. Uh, so as aster, uh, star, disaster, bad stars. Well, we don't tend to think this way uh, as modern people today, but the Bible tells us a story about a band of travelers that were on a journey and they were following a star. And this one star led them into disaster, the fear of disaster. But when that star stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Overwhelmed with joy. So I can't think of a better story for our current moment and this time and space than this story. So I want to go back together. Let's pull out our Bibles and read what we heard earlier today. Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Let's read that again. And now if you're able, would you stand and uh, we'll read it as an act of worship to our great King Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 through 10. And when we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. So there are two responses. One star, two responses. We get a response from a king, 
and we get a response from a group of astronomers. And we get one response that we could call the fear of a controller. And we get another response that we could call the joy of a follower. Now, here's a question. Let me ask you. When you are faced with your own fear of disaster, which response is yours? Controller? Follower? That's the question today. That's the, the question that this text presses upon all of us who read. Let's, let's look at it and, and understand these two options that we have. We see the first response in King Herod, who represents for us the fear of a controller. So when the star passes over King Herod's head, the head of a king, it spells disaster, does it not? For him, the king, the current king, and all of Jerusalem, we read, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. No one likes a scared king, right? Fear. Because there can only be one king at a time. Now what we know from history about King Herod is that he came to power under the exertion of his own will. He was brilliant, extraordinarily gifted, uh, caught the attention of the Romans and rose to power by basically playing one party off against another party. Did great things, major works of architecture that still stand to this day. This is Herod the Great. But he did it as an exertion of his own will. And so what the city of Jerusalem now knows is that when he's threatened, when he's afraid, what's he going to do? Screw down the screws. He's going to take matters into his own hands. Control. Control. Caesar Augustus once joked, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. Which is actually not funny, so thank you for not laughing. It's an anti-Semitic line. I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. What he's saying is that Herod's Judaism and desire to stay kosher would keep him from harming a pig, but his desire, thirst for power would make his sons at risk. And in fact, they were. He killed two of his own sons uh, out of fear, paranoia. He killed his favorite wife. Uh, and as you know, the story continues, he's going to kill um, probably what, 20 to 40 children who were born in the last two years in the city of Bethlehem at that time. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children disaster. Fear, control, disaster. So there's a lesson for us uh, in this, I think, and there's a lesson about fear, and and it's this, that fear that provokes control produces more fear. Can I say that again? Fear that provokes control just produces more fear. And here's the risk. Pastor Aaron and I are working on this series together. Here's the risk. It's called Fear Not. But here's the risk when you hear Fear Not. It's that you hear that and you think, I need to fix my fears. No. You don't fix your fears. What I love about this scene is there's nobody showing up in Jerusalem to say, Fear not. It's all good. Because it's not all good in Jerusalem at this moment. I mean, remember what we've been learning through the series. When Joseph is faced with the fear of shame, there's an angel who shows up and says, fear not. 
When Mary is faced with a fear of failure, there's an angel that shows up and says, fear not. But when Jerusalem is faced with this fear of disaster, silence. It's almost as if the message is, oh yeah, you can be afraid. Oh yeah, be very, very afraid. The fear is real here. I think we need to pay attention to this. The problem isn't the fear. It's the response to the fear. It's what you do with the fear. It's how you process or manage your fear that matters. Fear that provokes control just produces more fear. We learn this from Herod. Now, two things about control. First, when you and I are afraid, we tend to turn to control as our first option. We, we, we just do it. We're habituated to it. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in a conversation that's a, where someone else is controlling the conversation? It's one of the things I love about Zoom is I get buttons that I can change that when it's happening. But in, in normal life, people oftentimes, I'm oftentimes controlling conversation. Now, why do we do that? It's because we're afraid, right? Oftentimes, it's the talkative person who's just masking his anxiety in the conversation. Uh, oftentimes, we, some of us spiritualize it and we do it uh, with questions, especially like the deep questions, you know, how are you really doing? And the re- reason we say that is we don't want you to ask us how we're doing, right? We're afraid that we're going to be asked to share, to be vulnerable, and we'd rather just throw it out there and keep other people talking and we master the art of controlling the conversation. Well, the thing is, that's just an illustration, but that can grow into a whole relationship. A relational style. That can go into a whole life, actually, controlling. That's what we tend to do when we get afraid. Now, this is what's happening for Herod. His intentions are good. Let's just remember, we call him Herod the Great. His intentions are good. He does a lot for God's people, and he wants to do that. But when his back is up against the wall, when he's afraid, he tends to think he has to fix it himself. He takes things into his own hands. Those of us who understand the story of the Bible, understand this is one of its major plot threads. Uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, Adam and Eve before that, right? Taking uh, Jacob and Esau, Abraham and and Sarah. I'm getting it all out of order here. But you know, it's like at the foot of Mount Sinai, Israel and the golden calf. In every case, God has made a promise to do good. But before God can get around to actually making it happen, we go, I can take care of that quicker. And we take it into our own hands and we seize that for ourselves. We do damage in the process. When we're afraid, we often turn to control. Second thing about control, we think we're supposed to control even our fears. Follow this with me. Our fears. We try to manage our own moods. And I want to say this to you. I want to make sure you you hear this today. That if you've been going through the last couple of years in America, this pandemic and everything else, and, and you've been looking at the news and you feel afraid, good for you. You're normal. <laughs> there have been some scary stuff. And I mean, even this weekend, scary stuff. It is rational. Let me say it this way. When you're afraid, sometimes the problem isn't the fear. The problem is the problem. It's the problem that's the problem, not your fear. In fact, if it's disaster that you're afraid of, Fear is actually quite rational as a response. We don't want to disconnect from our emotional interior. May I say to you that, you know, our mental health is under assault today in the world. 
And I want you to understand, my mental health, your mental health, it is under assault. We're carrying an emotional burden we were not meant to carry. That's why Pastor Aaron is leading us through this Mental Wellness Monday. You're going to get an email tomorrow if you're on our list. I want you to click that and open, watch the video. It's just a few minutes long. Because we need to care for ourselves now. We need to care for each other. And that's one of the great gifts of being in community. Our church life together is actually protecting and bringing healing in a time of emotional trauma. This is a collective trauma that we're experiencing. And so the fear, it's okay. It's okay to, to not know how to respond or regulate your own emotions at this time. That's normal. What I want to caution us against is trying to ignore or manage our fear. We can't manage it away. We can't anesthetize it. We can't drink it away. We can't drug it away. We can't even spiritualize it away. In my mind, what passes for contemporary spirituality so often today is really just mood control. Right? I can get the ambient music. There's only so much you can do with ambient music, I found. Um, or scented candles, you know, as lovely as they are. When, when, there, when there's a problem, it's, it, you want to fix the problem, not just your fear of it. For example, if I'm in a burning house, um, the goal is not for me to sit inside the house and achieve this heightened state of tranquility. <laughs> the goal is for me to get out of the house and fix the problem, you know, get the fire out. Anything less than that is, it puts me on kind of the spectrum between denial and delusion. I'd be disconnecting from my emotions and disconnecting from realities. So we're not, we don't want to control our fears. And this is what Jerusalem needs to understand. They don't just need a new psychology in Jerusalem in their fear. They need a new sociology. That's the problem. <laughs> the problem is the social dynamics of, of this. They're afraid of an abuse of power from this king, and they should be. And the new king that's coming under this traveling star is one who doesn't just comfort us as the world burns or goes to hell. This is one who actually fixes the underlying problems. This is one who brings transformation to all of creation. This king comes not just to bring peace inside, but to bring, bring, bring peace on earth. That's the claim that's made for him. So we don't have to control our fears. What I'm saying is that fear that provokes control just produces more fear. It takes us right back. We're seeing this in the king, King Herod. The problem isn't the star that travels over his head. The problem is his response to the star. The problem isn't the fear. It's his impulse to respond and manage that fear by controlling the world around him. This is the fear of a controller. But this is where it gets fun. There is another response to this star. We see an alternative response in the traveling astronomers in them we see what I call the joy of the follower, the joy of the follower. When the star rises before them in the east, it leads them into the fear of disaster. They're coming into it in Jerusalem. But he, the star leads them into the fear of disaster only to lead them through the fear of disaster into joy. Right? You, did you see that in, in, in the text? They're actually followers. They're modeling the essence of discipleship. We're followers too. Uh, to follow the stars, to follow Jesus. And he leads them through the fear of disaster. There's something about these uh, um, astronomers or magi, wise men. 
that strikes me a little bit funny. They're wise, but they also seem a little naive. If you notice, they come into Jerusalem, which is the capital city, and they say, so hey, where's the king that's born, right? And everyone's going like, shh, 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 you know, uh, can you just pull him into the back alley? Like, you're going to get us all killed. You can't talk that way in Herod's Jerusalem. So they're kind of like, yeah, they're technically wise, uh, astronomy, but maybe sociologically naive and spiritually naive. We see in the text, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? Verse 2. Dangerous question to ask. Dangerous for everybody who hears it, but probably especially dangerous for these uh, astronomers because they're already following a new king into a, a kingdom that's currently heavily locked down and militarized. But this star leads them into this experience of threat that leads them into the fear of disaster. They're going to feel that fear as soon as it's explained to them, as soon as they have face-to-face with Herod. They'll feel, that fear, feel the fear. But the star has led them to that fear in order to lead them through the fear. That's a joy. And notice, when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Verse 10. So there's a lesson about joy here. And it's this. Fear that provokes surrender produces joy. Fear that provokes surrender produces joy. We see it in the astronomers. We have come to pay him homage, they tell him. Which means we've come to worship him. That's what some translations say, which is just simpler. We have come to worship him. And what we're learning is that worship is an act of surrender. That it's the recognition of another king in my life, in the world, a greater king. There's a king over me and over the world. Worship is surrendering your throne, the throne of your life to this king. That's what worship is. And so what the astronomers are learning is that fear precedes joy. Because no one surrenders without first experiencing threat, feeling threatened. You, you don't surrender without feeling threatened. But once you do surrender to this king, joy. So threat. So think about this. This is, this is part of worship. Yes, this is why Jesus speaks of the cross. Then he said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross, which is a symbol of death, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. This is why Paul spoke of being a living sacrifice. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Living sacrifice. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls you, he bids you come and die. This is why Mr. Beaver uh, says of the lion, Aslan, in the Chronicles of Narnia, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Fear that provokes surrender produces joy. He is good. So I'm trying to learn about this. I'm trying to learn how to surrender in my own life. What I'm learning is that to share in his purpose for my life, I have to let him threaten my ambition. 
I'm learning that to share in his wealth, I have to let him threaten my materialism. I'm learning that to share in his holiness, I have to let him threaten my hedonism. I'm learning that in order to let him, in order for me to share in his justice, I have to let him threaten my selfishness. In order to share in his racial reconciliation, I have to let him threaten my status. In order to share in his radical belovedness before the Father, I have to let him threaten my identity. So we have to ask the question, well, why? Why would anyone allow that? Why would anybody let somebody threaten what they hold most precious? Well, let me give you three reasons. I'll give you three quick reasons. Um, one for believers and two others for all the rest of us. First, because I realize not all of us are, is a believer here, so I would just say for those of us who are believers, the first reason why we would want to allow Jesus to threaten uh, anything of ours is this. It's the way of Jesus. It is, just the, it is just the way of Jesus. We read in Hebrews 12 too, for the joy set before him, he endured the, the cross. For the joy, he endured the cross. The second reason is, and this is for all of us, believers and those who don't yet believe, if we don't allow someone to threaten what we hold most dear, we will always fear the wrong things. Think about this for a second. And let me read an excerpt from uh, a book called The Dangerous Act of Worship, which is written by a, a, one of our alumni here uh, at UPC, Mark Laberton. Listen to this. Mark says, we need true worship to clarify danger. You know, to know what's worth fearing. We need to meet God in order to know what's worth fearing and what's not. When our experience of worship is committed to safety, it allows us to fear even to bow down before the wrong dangers. So the dangers of our lives are not being rewritten by the reality of God as worship is meant to do. Rather, safe worship allows us to continue holding on to the fear of the loss of lesser things like personal status or satisfaction or power or happiness. Such worship leaves us with the same blindness and confusion that grips our culture in general. How can we learn to love God and seek justice in a dangerous world in the name of Christ if in our worship we have only experienced a domesticated God? Oh, gosh. Uh, our Sunday services can become efforts to orchestrate intimacy without contact, to seek encounter without risk. The danger of losing control in our worship is an apparent danger to us, but it's irrelevant to God. Oh my gosh, is that convicting as a Presbyterian? Like, we love to do everything in order, good, you know, decent fashion, right? We've got these Holy Spirit fire extinguishers that are just ready for anything, you know. This, it, what Labrador is saying is, you know, this is dangerous stuff. If you're really going to have real intimacy with the living God, no one walks out of that unscathed, right? So, yes, we... we if we don't allow God, something greater than us all, to threaten our small things, then we will end up fearing the wrong things. I think that's what Laberton's trying to say. And then third reason here is that, that surrender makes us subversive. You want to be a subversive? You got to surrender to this king. Joy, Bono once said, is an act of subversion. Joy. Think about it. Isn't that true? It's an act of subversion, particularly today where we're all running around afraid. If you're not afraid, if you've got joy in the midst of your fears, wow. 
So, and we see this aversion, by the way, in the uh, astronomers. They, they uh, are engaging in an act of civil disobedience. The king has said, after you find, you get to Bethlehem, you come back to me and you report, and they choose not to. They're warned in a dream, and the text tells us they leave by another road. That's the road of civil disobedience. They're subverting the disaster of the moment. They're defying the tyrant, and they're living into the authority, the domain of the new and coming King Jesus already. You know a contemporary example of that? Sophie Scholl. If you haven't seen the movie Sophie Scholl, I would highly recommend this holiday season. Get, get the movie. She was a student activist in Nazi Germany. She stood up to Hitler, lost her life to do it. And if you ask why would she do it, it's because she surrendered to Jesus. And it made her subversive. Listen to some words that are attributed to Sophie Scholl. She says, the real danger, damage is done by those millions who want to survive. The honest men who just want to be left in peace. Those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves. Those with no sides and no causes. Those who won't take the measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weakness. Those who don't like to make waves or enemies. Those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principles are only literature. Those who live small, mate small, die small. It's the reductionist approach to life. If you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. But it's all an illusion because they die too. Those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe, safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues. And a little candle burns itself out just like a flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. Whoa. 22 years old. Tried and executed it. For, for distributing uh, the truth in pamphlet form in the streets of Munich with her brother and other students. Fear that provokes surrender produces joy. And you can hear the joy in Sophie Scholl's voice. This is what the astronomers are, are learning. For an, for an astronomer, a star was a promise of a future reality, a promise promise in this case of a new king, a new ruler, the rule of heaven breaking into the kingdoms of the earth. And, 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 it's, and it's this king that provokes the joy. And this is the joy of a follower. So disaster, disaster. It means bad stars. But there is another star moving through the darkness of the night sky there is a good star. And the question today is, beneath that star, how will you and I respond? You know, we all make this choice, whether we realize it or not, between the fear of a controller or the joy of a follower. We all are making it constantly. So you can double down. You can claim your throne for yourself. You can try to white-knuckle it through whatever crisis you're facing, more control, or you can get off the throne. You can get out of your own seat. You can join the journey. You can bow before this king and you can release the joy of heaven into your life. Wow. Well, there's a rumor in the streets of a newborn king. If you've never given your life to this king, this is the time to surrender. 
before he sits on your throne, you have to get off it. He's a gentleman. He doesn't come as an invader. He doesn't knock down the door. He knocks on the door. And perhaps you're hearing him knock today. I want you to listen to that and respond. We've got to get out of our seats so he can sit on the throne of our lives. If you've never done that, come today and say yes to Jesus. Come and pray with our prayer team after the service. Come to upc.org slash Jesus or click the chat and interact with somebody online right now. If you have given your life to this king, but you sense that you may be holding on to some of the trinkets of your own rule, maybe it's a scepter or a sword or a jewel from the crown, still haven't been able to release those things. For you also, it's time to surrender. For you also, I would invite you to, to click the chat button and pray with somebody. Come down front and pray with somebody after the service. This is what our prayer team is for, to minister to us so that we are not alone as we say yes to Jesus and, and release control of our lives, of our church's life, into his good hands. If you're not sure where you are, here's a question I'd like all of us to wrestle with in the week to come. This question. You can take a picture of this. Oh, it's not on the screen. You'll have to write it down. Sorry. What am I willing to let this Christ threaten in me? That's what I'm going to be reflecting on this week. What am I willing to let this Christ threaten in me? Well, meanwhile, we're all going to travel through some bad stars. I wish it were different, but I'm sure it's not. And as we do, I want you to remember, it's okay to be afraid. It is. But as we follow him, we know those stars can't really touch us. They're the kind of stars like the Jew astronomers tell us about today where they're light years away and by the time we see their light, they're not there anymore. They're nothing now but a cold stone that's long since flamed out. That's the light of the bad stars. It's fading away. This dominion and all of its answers to life's hardest problems has proven to be unable to fix the essential problem with which we are faced as a species, as a planet, as a cosmos. But there is this one star who continues to lead and grow in luminescence. We follow him. When they saw, saw that star had stopped, verse 10 says, they were overwhelmed with joy. That, my friends, in Greek is expressed in the strongest possible way. That's all I'll say. It's a, it's a verb and a noun. They rejoiced a joy that was exceedingly great. <laughs> Language is straining. I love this translation. They were overwhelmed with joy. Herod was undone in his fear. These were undone by their fear as well, but they pressed through to kneel before this king, and then they were overwhelmed with joy. Friends, that's a promise for you, and that's a promise for me as well. I don't know, but maybe today you're battling anxiety and depression. Keep following. Soon the star will stop. Maybe today you're trying to hold a family together in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, my gosh, but keep following. Soon the star will stop. Maybe you're facing heartbroken you're lost. You're heartbroken by loss. Keep following. Come on, jump in here with me. Soon the star will stop. Maybe you're threatened by racial injustice or environmental disaster. Keep following. 
Soon the star will stop. That's right, because you have a star that passed through the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. Keep following. Soon the star will stop. You have a star that passed through the cross, darkness at noon, an earthquake. Keep following. Soon the star will stop. Come on, you have a star that passed through the empty tomb into the heavenly places. Keep following. Soon the star will stop. You have a star that will pass through wars and rumors of war and a glory coming on the clouds and a kingdom of eternal joy. Keep following. Soon the star will stop. Let's pray. Oh, King Jesus. What an honor to be in your presence. We know this room isn't just filled with things we can see, but your Holy Spirit is real and is here now and is a threat that every, to everything that stands between the Father and his beloved children. And so here we are, Jesus, kneeling at your throne. We implore you to come, Lord Jesus. Come rule in our lives. Come rule in your church, UPC. Come rule around the world. Uh, defy the principalities and the powers of darkness that the light of Christ might shine and bring transformation to this beloved creation just as you have promised one day to do. We pray in your name, amen.